Thanks so much for listening in to the Saints Hill Church Podcast. Our vision is to see heaven come to earth, and we do this by equipping the saints to know who they are in Christ, to walk in freedom through the truth, and make disciples who change the world. We hope this message draws you further into relationship with our Father, and if you would like to give to the mission of Saints Hill, please visit our website at saintshill.church. And thank you. Your generosity helps to keep Saints Hill going. Now, on to the message. It's so good to be with you guys this morning. Um, This is my last time I get to teach before I go on leave, and it's such an honor um, to get to be up here and to get to have the chance to speak into this new year with our family. I just, I love you guys so much, and it's so cool. Even I was walking around this morning talking to people, and I was like, we have not just like a supportive and excited family, but we have a family who really does know how to honor one another who's able to see each other in the morning. And it's not just like, hey, how's it going? But it is like, they wanna know how you're doing, where you're at. They wanna know, oh, are you seeing what the Lord sees in you? Cause I am, and I wanna tell you. And I had encounters like that this morning. It was just reminded how special that Saints Hill is, how special this family is. And it's because of you guys. It's because you're here and you show up and you're in for what he's in for. And if you missed last week, We had our New Year's teaching where Alex gave us the word for the year, and it was dependence. Um, Go back and listen to that if you haven't. But that word has been sitting with me all week long, just like, okay, dependence, Lord. What are you doing in dependence? How are you drawing us in? And he brought me back to kind of what we talked about the year before. The year of why was the year before, right? (laughs) And Alex talked last week about how that question can come up and kind of wreck you sometimes. But I think that these years are connected. Because what I was thinking about this week is that it is our why that leads us to dependence. It's our why, if if I can explain a little bit more what I'm talking about, it's that when I'm able to step back and say, okay, why, like why do I do the things that I do? Why do I make the decisions that I make? What do I believe about my identity, my why for being here? And when we have those things rightly placed, we're dependent on him. It leads us to the state of dependence of when my why is Jesus himself, when my why is the kingdom, when my why is how can I outdo my brother and sister in honor, I live this kingdom way. I live this dependent way. And I think was we're going to into a new year, and Chris mentioned it. I love that, that like we make our resolutions, but what, are, what is his resolution? What is his why for my life? What is he doing? And I know that that language sounds familiar if you've been at Saints Hill for any amount of time. If you sit down with Jake, you're going to have that question of like, well, why are we doing what we're doing? If you listen to a teaching, you're going to have that. It was a whole year of why, why? And I think that it's so important to today to look at ourselves and that Jesus is doing that. He's saying, okay, let me look at you and answer that why. That we would look, in, look at what, why we do what we do and that we would come to kingdom conclusions. I think that God is stirring something in this family. That word that's been with us of dependence, of more. Of there's this space of when we're dependent on God. Oh, I want more of you, Jesus. I want more of you, Jesus. And he's doing that. He's up to it. He's up to it in this room. He's up to it in this people. He's up to it in this town that there's people who want more of Jesus. So if he's doing it, how do we steward it? How do we walk with it and give him that yes? We're like, okay, God, we can kind of get a glimpse of where you're going. I can feel you stirring the excitement. I can feel you stirring up that there's more. Even what Chad was just talking about, that there there is more that I can trust you for. But how do we steward it? How do we, when we're dreaming and we're anticipating, and even in the time like a new year, we're making goals and we're doing things, how do we steward those well? 
and ensure that we're staying in, in this place where he is the why and nothing less. I think we can learn something, as always, from Jesus here. That there's something about when we watch the life of Jesus, and specifically today we're going to look at Matthew 4 and how Jesus was tempted, that we gain an understanding of how the world tries to give us a different why. How the world, the flesh, and the devil will try to seek to tempt you into a different reason for being, into a different reason for living. But it's from Jesus that we learn how to steward what God is doing, the dreams that he's given, what he's spoken, the prophetic words you've received, that the whys that motivate us are set in him. Hebrews 4, 15 through 16 says, For we do not have a high priest who's unable to empathize with our weakness, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are. Yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Jesus was tempted to let his motives, let his why be something other than the Father. But what happened when we watch Jesus be tempted and we see, oh, he's actually been tempted with the same things I am, those same core temptations that pull at us, the same why that tries to trick us into living for something less, he's faced them and he actually shows us how to make your decisions off of only what God says to be true, off of only going where the Father's going like we talked about last week. So as we ask that question of God, how can I be drawn into dependency with you, I think we can start here. We can start at saying, okay, Jesus, what are those core temptations? What are those deep desires that will rule me if left unchecked? And what is the why that you're trying to give me instead? We start with Jesus exposing those spaces and offering us a better way, a better why. So with that, let's go to the text for today. We're going to be in Matthew 4, verse 1. You guys can stand up when you get there. Matthew 4, starting verse 1. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands, so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him and the angels came and attended him. This is the word of the Lord. Y'all can be seated. Thank you. As we read through those temptations of Jesus, that's Something that I've never really thought about is that if he's the great high priest who's been tempted in every way that we have been tempted, there's something that the temptations that the devil chose to give to Jesus that tells us about the core temptations that we face as well, that tells us about the things that we're going to face in our life, the whys that are going to try to give themselves to us that are false, that are false identity, 
um, Henry Now, and he wrote a book, and it's called In the Name of Jesus. And he actually draws a conclusion, that, that same thing, that each temptation shows a core temptation of the heart that's familiar to all of us. And today what I want to do is I want to walk through this passage, exploring those core temptations um, to see how God might be leading us to freedom and dependence. That there's something when we look at those and we look at, oh, okay, that's a why that the world's trying to give me, that we get to reject it and come back to our identity, come back to what God says is true. In Matthew 4, I think we're seeing kind of the how of what that verse we read in Hebrews talks about. He was tempted in every way. How? With temptations familiar to every human heart. Temptations that when we partner with them, they lead to sin in different ways, but that when rejected, they lead us to dependence. Temptations that would offer to serve as your why for what we say, we do, we think. And we focus here not to focus on like, how do I not do what's bad? But it's that we flee the unsatisfied, the anxious, the self-centered life, and we continually choose to step into the peace and joy of Jesus Christ. So what is the first temptation of the heart that we see? In that first section of the passage, it says, The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. What's the temptation? Prove your worth. Turn these stones into bread. That first temptation is to be relevant, to be self-sufficient, to prove that I'm significant. Can I do something to prove that I'm actually worth something? And for us, it's typically not going to be that same temptation of, can you turn this stone into bread? Maybe, maybe it is. That would be really cool. But it could be instead, okay, post the story that proves you're the expert. Or make the promotion happen by talking down the competition. Or just, okay, just go buy the status symbol because it'll prove to them what you're worth. We have the temptation all the time to exhibit to the world our relevance. To lean into self-sufficiency and to make a way for ourselves to allow the end, the turning the stones into bread, which isn't a bad thing, to justify the means of getting there. But if we look at Jesus, he didn't function this way. If you'll remember, Jesus will eventually turn a loaf of bread and some fish into enough to feed thousands of people. He will do the miracle. But it's not, it's not that that was the sin, it's that that motive to be self-sufficient, to display his relevance outside of the Father's leading and timing. That was the sin. So Jesus, instead of justifying the means for a harmless end, he chose dependence on the Father. He said, no, I'll live off every word that comes out of the mouth of God. That his objective wasn't the miracle. His objective wasn't the relevance, but it was God. It was that I will go where true life is found. And we're faced almost daily. Think about the stuff you're inundated with, from social media to coworkers to just the world in general is begging us to prove that we're relevant. Even for the church, the world looks and says, okay, show us what you're worth. Show us why we should care. That temptation is there. Even with the goal, think about like goals you made for the year. Is relevance a driving force of, okay, but how can I, how can I prove myself? If so, you're not alone. But Jesus' response is so different. That instead of relevance being the thing that moves us from left to right, it is the word of God alone that we get to lay down that self-sufficiency drive. We get to put it down at his feet and say, no, speak, God, and I will respond. We get to wake up and say, I'm living off your words today, Father. There's a quote um, from the same book that I mentioned, and it says this. Look at Jesus. The world did not pay any attention to him. 
he was crucified and put away. His message of love was rejected by a world in search of power, efficiency, and control. But here he was, appearing with wounds in his glorified body to a few friends who had eyes to see, ears to hear, hearts to understand. This rejected, unknown, and wounded Jesus simply asked, do you love me? Do you really love me? He whose only concern had been to announce the unconditional love of God had only one question to ask, do you love me? The question is not how many people take you seriously. How much are you going to accomplish? Can you show some results? But it's are you in love with Jesus? Perhaps another way of putting the question would be, do you know the incarnate God? Are you in love with Jesus? That is the, that is the question that matters the most, that when answered yes, it squashes that temptation towards relevance. Because it says, oh, all I care about is that I would set my eyes on him, that I would be in love with him. And it is being in love with Jesus that actually gives you your identity. It gives you your direction. It gives you your why for life is being in love with him, receiving the love of the Father. That sometimes it's frustrating because it's like, it's that simple? Just love Jesus? Yeah, it's that simple. That God came and he said that you were created to love him. You were made to love him. You were made to sit with him, to know the love of God, and to know God himself. That's the possibility afforded to us. We get to rest in the love of Jesus. When relevance would try to do the opposite, it would say, oh, you actually don't get to rest at all. You're going to strive because you have to make a place in the world. That even when you reach the place you were going for, you reach the mountaintop, you reach the position that you wanted, you still are going to have to strive to maintain it. You will never be done. You will never find rest. You will either be watching something slip through your fingers or grasping for the past because we all will age. We all will change. We all will see the world change around us. And you can never hold on to the relevance even if you feel like you attained it. So we get to stop striving. We get to rest rather than grasping. And we get to rest in what is the very best place. It's the love of Jesus. We get to fall in love again and again, day in and day out. That is what dependence of the Christian looks like. As I come and I say, oh, I'm a, I'm a lover. I remember that I was made to be a lover and nothing less. There's a lot of different ways that we can engage with the love of God. It's an encounter with him. Maybe during worship you felt that. You were like, God, I feel loved by you. Like, yes, I'm, I'm praising you. I'm giving you what you're worth. I'm, tr- I'm expressing myself to you. But did you feel his love? Maybe you felt his love over you. When we sit and we look at him in all the different ways that he affords to us, he hasn't made himself hard to find. He's made himself easy to find because of his deep, great love for you. Because he's a good father who wants to be with you. And one of the practices that can really help us in this is that practice, we talk about it sometimes here, of of just silence, of sitting with the Lord. It's a space where we get to receive of his love without feeling like, oh, I have to give something or I have to have an eloquent prayer that I say. No, I actually can just sit and receive from him because he's that good. I had someone describe the practice of silence to me this week as, um, think of it like you meet with a friend and you talk with them and you learn about their lives and you catch up on all the things about them. But at the end of the conversation, you just sit with them. And it's that sitting, maybe there's, um, there's nothing left to say, but it's a sitting that feels not only comfortable, but it feels like it gives you life again. That, oh, I actually don't have to say anything. I can sit here with this person and know that I am loved. 
That is what we get to do with the Father, is we get to sit with him, and I get to say, I know that I am loved by you, Jesus. That I get to sit in silence with the Lord and be reminded that his presence is with me, that he is for me. And I think it's not, maybe not an easy thing to do to sit and just be quiet, to sit. We're trained, we're trained to just be able to give away. What do I have to offer? What do I have to prove? But we get to sit with the Lord and say, there's nothing to gain, nothing to prove. I just want you. You get to sit with him in that place. So I even invite you guys this week as we look at that temptation to relevance. If you feel it, go to a place of silence with him. Go to a place to just sit and receive of the love of the Father. Because what you'll see is that he's already given you more than enough. That he's providing your worth. He's in love with you. And you get to be in love with him. The second thing that we see in the temptations of Jesus is that and the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, it is also written, do not put your, the Lord your God to the test. The second temptation we see the temptation to be spectacular. The core desire of the heart of Jesus' second temptation is to be spectacular, to do something worthy of applause, worthy of attention. What it, Satan's asking him is, can you do a stunt that only you can do? Leave us all in awe of you. This is how you do it. You pull it off and the people will be in awe of you. You'll get, get what you're after. But Jesus didn't come to play the stunt man. He came as a servant of all on mission with the Father. He didn't determine his worth based on the spectacular people. What a different ministry that would have been. Because instead, Isaiah 53 calls him despised, rejected. It says, he was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised, and we held him in low esteem. How many of us were like, who do I want to be, would pick that over being spectacular? <laughs> would say, oh yeah, that's, I, wanna be in, I wanna be held in low esteem. I wanna be despised and rejected. No, we want to be spectacular. But the God of the universe showed us that it's not about proving yourself to be something, but he knew who he was and why he had come. He knew the rejection, but he also knew the acceptance of the Father, and that that was enough to carry him through. The cause of the Christian, of each of us in this room, if we're gonna say, I'm dependent on Jesus, it's not individual heroism, but it's a life devoted to God and to one another. It's a life that's willing to say, I lay myself down. And I know that that drive to prove ourselves, it runs really deep. And to abandon it can feel almost impossible to say, I don't care about that. And maybe we always will care about that. But to when we care more about proving ourselves a spectacular, to turn again to him and remember the suffering servant that we serve and say, oh no, God, you are enough to come to kingdom reality, that it's not me being spectacular that's gonna change the world, it's the presence of God with us that's gonna change the world. It's not my ability to build and to influence or to create programs or whatever it is that will make sure that the church stays beautiful. No, God is building his church and he said she will be beautiful. So I'm partnering with him in what he's up to. I don't have to perform. So I get to shake off that temptation to be spectacular and submit myself to the realities of my identity that's already been given to me in Jesus. That is the great opportunity that we have that I get to lay down my life daily and pick up what Jesus is doing. I get to live my life for the cause of Christ instead of the cause of myself. 
I know that that temptation even arises in me. I was thinking back to when I was in college and I worked at, um, I worked at a coffee shop. And I remember anytime somebody would ask me, oh, like, what do you do for work? Like a stranger, not somebody I care about. What do you do for work? Be like, oh, I work at a coffee shop, but I'm also in school for this, doing this, trying to do this, also this. I'm like, please love me. <laughs> Even though, like, coffee shop might not sound that cool, but look, I have other stuff that might be cool someday. And I hope you think that. <laughs> to people that I didn't know, to people that didn't know me, didn't know who I was, but I so wanted to prove myself, my insecurity revealed and I still find myself doing that today. If someone asked me, what did you do today? And it was nothing. I'm like, I gotta figure out something to say. I gotta figure out, like, I did something good or maybe I, I gotta text someone, hang out with someone before my day, I really did nothing. I feel, I have this in me, this insecurity that says, no, I have to be able to offer something. But when I don't give in to that desire to prove myself, it allows God to prove my worth instead that he is able to live outside of my achievements because I'm dependent on who he is and what he's achieved for me. And I'm not saying that doesn't mean that we won't do things, that our lives won't be spectacular because what he tends to do is take people and do really awesome things with them. He tends to take people and make the impossible possible. But not because I was trying to prove myself, because I rested in him and he was able to prove himself through me. Kingdom achievement is the fruit of a rested heart. Instead of feeling like I always have to give something, I always have to have something to offer, oh no, I actually am a person who rests in the sustaining grace of God. A person who, I might be busy with things to do, but my heart is not hurried. Because the things that I do are not out of performance, but out of obedience. That's very different. Out of great abundance, not out of lack of where I think that I should be that if a stranger came up to me and said, so what do you do? I'd be completely comfortable if I had nothing to say or a lot to say because my reality is that it's his sustaining grace, not my accomplishments. I remember hearing a teacher talk about the practice of Sabbath in that way and talking about how with Sabbath, you turn away from the world, you turn off your phone, you shut yourself down and you step away from performance and you actually are honest with yourself that the world goes on without you. That you're able to step back and say, oh, God, no, you are the one that makes the seasons change, the days come, that sustains the people around me. And if I was to step away for a day, it's not going to fall apart. For you hold all things together. And on the one hand, that's really beautiful and really freeing, but also a little painful. That you're like, I could leave and everything would be okay. A lot of us, we don't want that. I'm being honest, for me, I, I want to leave and then come back and be like, oh, we missed you so much. It was crazy without you. But what Jesus says is like, no, you're able to step away with me and know that I will handle what you left behind. I can handle the world. I can handle the people you love. I can take care of all the things and you can, you can turn off, you can step aside. And that's what Sabbath is so beautiful of doing for us is being able to just step aside and say, oh yeah, I remember again that it is God who sustains the world and the world will go on without me, and I'll turn my phone back on, and everyone will be okay, and that that's the beauty of following Jesus. It's the beauty of getting to be dependent on him, is that I don't have to try to keep the world spinning. I can trust him to do it. And it's not your performance that the world needs the most anyway. It's you in love with your creator. 
It's you receiving your identity from him and giving away the gift to the world that is a person in love with God, on fire for God, open to what God is doing, open to not saying, oh, I have at the end of my five-year plan, here's where I have to be, but open to saying, God, whatever your plan is, I'm going with you. Those are the people that the world needs. And those are people that don't give in to the temptation to be spectacular because I'd rather receive my identity from the Father than prove myself to the world. I would rather lay my performance and my image at his feet and trust what he says about who I am. And there's a lot of really beautiful ways that we can do that. Sabbath is one of them, to step aside. Another really sweet way that we can step away from performance is what the scriptures teach us about confession and forgiveness with one another. There is a place in this body to come to one another and confess, not for my shame, but so that I can trust my community with my identity to say, hey, here's confession is just telling the truth. So here's the truth about where I haven't believed God. Here's the truth about where I haven't listened to him. Here's the truth about where I, what I've actually believed. And when you get to say that to another person, that confession is powerful because it gives them the chance to receive that confession and to forgive to say, oh no, your identity is this. Like I see what you've believed and that it's wrong, but I forgive you and here's who you are in the Lord. That's a place where the spectacular has to die because our facade that we try to build goes away when we make confession a rhythm of our hearts. When we say, oh, it's no longer that when I sit down with my friends, I'm trying to show them how amazing that I am. It's, oh no, I'm just trying to tell them the truth about who I am, about what the Lord is doing, about what I have, where I haven't believed him. And that allows us a place to get to say, oh, no, the false image is going to die. And it allows other people to say, the false image is never what I loved in the first place. I love who God is making you to be. I love who he says that you are. And we get to together as a community let that sparkling image die. We get to say, oh, no, we don't value the spectacular, actually. We way more value the truth tellers. We way more value the people that are dependent on Jesus. And it's actually really important to sit with people and to express how you've wronged them and let them forgive you. And to be the person who's open to getting to tell people their value when they receive confession. We don't do it hardly enough because we want to be comfortable. We want to choose being comfortable over our exposure. But it's that exposure that rejects the spectacular. That rejects me trying to put on an image, to put on anything else. And allows my community to be the voice of God to me. So give people the chance to love you like that. Give people the chance as the church to be that with you. There's a quote from Bonhoeffer. It says, humankind is not permitted to remain alone in its sin. God speaks to Adam and halts him in his flight. Come out of your hiding place, out of your self-reproach, out of your cover-up, out of your secrecy, out of your self-torment, out of your vain remorse. Confess who you are. Do not lose yourself in religious despair, but be yourself. The temptation to be spectacular dies when we choose not to remain alone in our sin. And we choose to receive the identity that's true of us because of who he is. We get to be children and not performers. It's so much better. Before we end, we're going to look at that third temptation of Jesus. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him and the angels came and attended him. The third temptation that we see here and in the human heart is the temptation to be powerful. 
The core temptation that the devil's final offer is getting at is that heart's desire for power. How can I hold on to power and avoid pain? How can I control others in my surroundings? How can I be respected? A lot of humanity asks those questions. And if we just take a simple survey of history or at our current day, we can see that power is a driving force behind a lot of what people do. Some of our greatest tragedies were driven by a quest for power. And it's a fruitless crown that's worn by many people. And maybe for you, you're thinking, power, I don't really care to be powerful. I'm not a politician or a world leader or someone after that kind of position. It's not something I wrestle with. But do you ever find it easier to try to be God than to love God? Easier to take decisions into your own hands? Easier to try to manufacture your future than to open it up to him? Do you ever seek to control people rather than to love them? Do you ever think, oh, if they could just act this way, then we really could have a great friendship? Or if they would just listen to me, we could have a relationship to seek to control those around you so that they fit your ideal? Do you ever hope to rule your life rather than to just love and enjoy your life? You create a map for the future or the house that you need or whatever you need for the future in order to be able to enjoy life. Or maybe you dislike your job and you're like, I can't have joy in this life until I get that promotion or the place that I want. Or you see God called you somewhere last year and it's not how you felt that it would be. And so you wanna run away from it instead of stopping and asking him, God, what do you have in store for me today? Even though this doesn't look like how I thought, how do you want it to look? That we're able to enjoy life even when it's the unexpected. If any of those resonate with you, and I know they do with me, that's that temptation to power, to control, that temptation that we have to seize being God when in reality we can never thrive without submission to the love of God. And as we look forward to what God is speaking in this church, he's giving us dreams, he's giving us vision, he's giving us hunger for more of these people. We're gonna be confronted with the desire to just make that happen, <laughs> even the really good things. Okay, cool, great word, God, I'm gonna make it happen. But what actually we're invited to is Jesus is saying there's a better way. That we don't have to try to be God. Has he given you a dream, a goal, a word? To receive it is to partner with him. It's to trust him. Because even a word from God, if we then take it and try to make it happen on our own, it's fruitless. Take today to resist manufacturing the future. Entrust your plans to him. When you look forward to this new year, you look forward to where you're going. As you pray through words you received last year or earlier in your life, let the prayer of your heart be whatever it looks like, God. I'm with you. I'm partnering with you. You are God. I am not. We don't have to control people. We get the privilege to love them. We get the privilege to honor them. One of our uh, values here at Saints Hill is that we would celebrate people in an environment of honor. It's not that, oh, I would... Uh, I celebrate people because I'm in an environment of control and they do exactly what I want them to do. So they're easy to celebrate. That's not what we do here. We create an environment of honor that seeks out the golden people. What is God saying about you that I can speak out over your life? How can I receive your confession and honor you at the same time? How can I outdo you in love and care? And though you may be completely different than me, how can I celebrate who God made you to be? How can I receive from you what you know of Jesus, how you've related to him, how you love him? And even if it like what I see and what you say makes me uncomfortable, can I receive from you and learn from you? 
even though it's different than my experience? These are questions an environment of honor asks. And we don't have to try to control life, but we get to enjoy and love the life that God has given us. In disappointment, I get to choose joy because I actually can learn with him to hold both at the same time. That I can learn that, oh yeah, there's real, real pain, but God, Jesus, your presence is real joy and there's both that can live in the same space because you live in the same space. I don't make non-negotiable goals for my success. My non-negotiable is that I will follow him all the days of my life. That I will rejoice in the big and the small victories. I will rejoice in the healing of cancer. And I will rejoice in the sunrise in the morning. I will rejoice in anything good because I know it all comes from him. I have eyes that can see abundance, that don't see lack. And that makes it that I can enjoy, I can enjoy my life every day because I see it as the gift that it is from him. And all of these things, the temptations that we see the, to relevance, to be spectacular, to power, they're all these alternative whys that are clamoring for our attention. They're all saying, okay, use this as your why. Use this to create your future. Use that desire to mold who you become. But it's the way of Jesus in Matthew 4 that invites us to lay it down. Lay down the make it happen. Lay down the self-sufficiency and rest in the Father. We don't need to rush, not even for the good things, for our souls can find deep rest in him. He's reframing our desires. I think as we look forward at a year of dependence, he's teaching us what it looks like to steward it. He's teaching us what it looks like to truly be a dependent people, that we would say, oh God, there's no other why that is worth it but you. That my why is that I will serve the Lord. I will love God. I will be a child of God. And that strips us of all the, all the performance, of all the try hard, of all the striving, and lets us rest in him. And all the temptations that would invite us to build our own kingdom, they have to die. That together we would say, God, your kingdom come, your will be done. However, however you want to do it. Whatever you want to do. I'm going to have you guys stand with me. Um, worship team, you can come on up. But I think there's a important, it's important for us to come back to this place over and over and over again of dependence in him. Thanks for listening. If we can do anything to help you or if you want to stay in the loop with what is going on in and around the church, you can follow us on Instagram, download the Saints Hill app in the App Store, or visit our website.